1: And it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.
2: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, we'll pause to reflect on an eventful 2019 and look forward to what's ahead in 2020.
3: If you're a person of faith, live your faith. Uh, Whether you're elected in politics, whether you're uh, at work, whether you're at home, whatever it may be, you can live your faith.
2: First, we'll take a look at the role of prayer in politics with two senators, Delaware Democrat Chris Coons and Oklahoma Republican James Lankford. United by the bond of prayer, shared with a bipartisan group of senators every week.
4: What we really need to do here in Washington, I think, is model the ability to disagree with each other but not be cruel or sharp or nasty to each other.
2: Then a special interview with first daughter and presidential advisor Ivanka Trump. A new family leave policy gives federal workers 12 weeks of paid leave when they have children or adopt. Will more private companies follow the government's leave? Our goal
5: is to ensure that paid leave is available to all Americans.
2: And we'll honor the end of the year with our CBS News Correspondence Panel. It's a 69 year tradition that's entering its seventh decade as we prepare to enter a new decade in 2020. All that and much more is ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. The holidays are filled with tradition and one 60-year Senate tradition that's largely gone unnoticed is its weekly prayer group. Every Wednesday morning, a group of bipartisan senators take time to pray, sing hymns, get to know each other, and reflect on their common bond. We sat down with two members of the group, Oklahoma Republican, James Lankford, and Delaware Democrat, Chris Coons. They have very different politics, but agree their prayer meetings are a valuable and increasingly rare opportunity for bridge building. You know, for most people, they sit down at the table at holidays, and the two things that are supposed to be forbidden are talking politics and talking religion. Mm -hmm. And here, in this place of contentiousness... We manage to bring those together every Wednesday morning. You're bringing them together in a positive way? Right, yeah. In this political climate, has it hurt attendance or has it driven up attendance?
4: I think it's driven up attendance, frankly. Um, we have um, a fluid group that includes a fairly broad range of both caucuses.
3: It's a moment for people to be able to talk about their faith, something that's deeply personal in everyone's journey, uh, but it's also very important. You, you don't really understand who someone is until you reach the point you can really learn about their faith and their own personal journey with faith.
2: So, your faith and sort of your moral foundation has always been part of your consciousness, inf- informing your political beliefs, is that
4: right? One of the challenges, I think, of our service and our time here is to strengthen and sustain our faith even at a time when the political conclusions that people reach from that faith can lead us to have such sharply different views on the role of government society, on the role of individual liberty, on what sorts of rights we think are most central. One of the great things about having a weekly prayer breakfast is we are not getting together to argue about the issues that are so often used to divide people based on faith. We're not sitting there arguing about gay marriage and abortion and the death penalty. We're frankly sitting there praying with and for each other, singing hymns, talking about our families, and then sharing some stories. We are in a very sharply divided partisan moment. It is hard to find any space here to be vulnerable. Uh, to admit that we don't have all the answers, to admit any sort of lack of certainty or confidence in our party's political views, and having a conversation that starts around uh, the most basic questions. Uh, Why are we here? What is it we're trying to do? Having a conversation about those very basic questions, rather than a fight about the end point, the application through law, uh, is a good way to have a conversation in a place where we so rarely do that.
3: Faith is exceptionally important to people that live their faith. And and what I challenge people is if you're a person of faith, live your faith. Uh, Whether you're elected in politics, whether you're uh, at work, whether you're at home, whatever it may be, you can live your faith. Faith should impact who you are. Uh, if, If your faith only affects your weekends, that's not a faith, that's a hobby. A hobby is something you do on weekends. A faith is something that permeates everything you do. And so when I was elected, when Chris was elected, we weren't elected and said, okay, now go there. Now you have to take your faith off when you go. It's still who you are and a part of who I am. Our faith, and my faith in particular, uh, has the strong belief that people are created in the image of God and they have value and worth. That means people that I disagree with, I should be able to disagree with them in a way that still respects them as a person. Uh, That changes the way that I debate. That changes the way that I engage on issues uh, because of my own personal faith.
2: Has partisanship become ideological? I mean, people associate political parties right now with a fundamental moral judgment of whether you're a good or bad person.
3: And that's a bad place to be. We, we, we should not identify political parties based on a particular faith or a particular faith tradition, uh, because a political party is not about a faith.
4: And I think one of our challenges, uh, as people who did study um, faith and did uh, practice it in our life before being elected, um, is to strike that balance where we are elected officials and thus represent uh, big states with a wide and robust range of people of different views, either um, people of one of the main uh, Abrahamic faiths, uh, the Muslims or Jews or Christians, or people who have no faith tradition at all but are still entitled to be adequately and well and thoroughly represented. We have to balance being part of that broad, wide-open society with our own personal faith.
2: There are going to be people at home who are rolling their eyes saying this too. is called the swamp for a reason right. mm-hmm. and that there is no moral high ground left here. You're about to enter an even more contentious period of a time.
4: Um, it is genuinely straining. Um, some of the friendships I've worked hard to build over the last decade across the aisle to be in a time when we have um, such sharply divided politics. Um, I've got a number of friends who I work really well with, but on certain issues and on certain topics, we, we just we can barely speak about it anymore. Um, that just reflects what's happening in our home states, Um, Frankly, in some of our families. What we really need to do here in Washington, I think, is model the ability to disagree with each other but not be cruel or sharp or nasty to each other. The whole reason we have a Congress is to resolve disputes without resorting to violence so that people who come from very different states and from very different frameworks and very different values can come together here and resolve things. We are underperforming in that area right now in the Congress. Um, We are reflecting the deep divisions that exist in our country, but I think a part of why we come here, and at least a part of why I gather with my colleagues across the aisle one hour a week, is to try and be open to working across the aisle because I don't know how else we fix this. I don't know how else we're going to move forward other than respecting each other and getting to know each other across these deep and significant divisions.
3: Yeah. Washington, D.C. really is a mirror to the rest of the country. Sometimes the country doesn't want to admit it. One of the key things that we can do is just be who we are. Uh, there are people of faith scattered all around the country. There are people that, that don't have a faith all around the country. But we can show respect to each other and to say, go, go live your faith. Whatever that faith chooses to be, I'm going to live mine, and we're going to find a way to be able to work together, even in areas where we disagree, and find areas of common ground. I don't have to compromise my values to find areas of common ground.
2: We're on the verge of this impeachment trial. And during the the Clinton impeachment, we often heard from Republicans the criticism and the call for an American president to be a moral leader. And we heard about moral failings. These days, you will quietly hear criticism of the president from Republicans, but you don't hear that loud uh, criticism in the way we did 20 years ago. What has changed?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure anything has changed. Uh, I think there's still this ongoing conversation about policy uh, and about uh, responsible leadership and about role models. Um, I I said very early on in the uh, campaign time period when people asked me in 2016, what are you looking for? I said, well, I always look for a president who can be a role model. I, I don't think that President Trump as a person is a role model for a lot of different youth. Uh, That's just me personally. I don't like the way that he tweets. uh, Some of the things that he says, his word choices at times are not my word choices. Uh, He comes across with more New York City swagger uh, than I do from the Midwest, and definitely not the way that I'm raising my kids. Saying that, there are policy areas that we agree on, uh, and when we agree on those things, we work on those things together. Uh, But it's also been a grand challenge to be able to say for a person of faith, uh, for a person who believes that there is a right way to go on things, I, I wish that he did and he was more of a role model in those areas. Now, saying all that, uh, on the area of life where I'm very passionate about uh, of the issues of abortion, for instance, he's been tenaciously pro-life. Uh, he's focused on uh, putting people around him that are very, very focused on religious liberty, not honoring a particular faith, but honoring any person of any faith to go be able to live and practice that faith and to have respect for that. That's helpful for any person of faith. And uh, to be able to say, give me the space to be able to live my faith and to be able to put people into the administration that will also allow that and encourage that. So for people of faith, uh, it's a bit of a conundrum at times, uh, that I look at some of the moral decisions that he's made and go, I disagree with that. But he's also been very, very protective of areas like life and very protective of areas of religious liberty to be able to allow people to be able to live their faith out. Um, and at the end of the day, what we're really looking for in an administration is folks that allow us to be able to live our principles.
2: Has that been hard for you? As a, as a person who talks about living his faith, is it hard for you
3: at times? It, it is not hard for me to be able to live that out because my first responsibility is for myself and for my family. But then uh, you get asked by out.
2: people like me, That's how correct. could you support this? So how could it, you support it, that? It,
3: it is it is the most interesting question that I get. Almost every day uh, when I walk through anywhere in the Capitol, someone from the press will say, the president just tweeted out this, what do you think about it? And put a it, put it uh, microphone in my face and say, answer for any kind of moral statement. Or he just said a curse word... Uh, In a public setting, I know you're a person of faith. Go answer for this. Um, uh, Again, the president has a spokesperson, and I'm not the president's spokesperson. Uh, I have a responsibility for myself and my team and uh, for what my family is going to do, and then I'm also going to try to set what I believe is the right role model. Everyone has a task here. And one of the interesting things about Washington, D.C. is I don't get to pick the people that I work with. The American people pick the people that I work with. And then my responsibility is to be able to get things done in that environment uh, that I think drive home a set of values uh, and a set of policies that help the nation long-term.
2: Senator Coons, I read that both you and the president are Presbyterian, and have found some <laughs> commonality there, but um, that you had kind of an awkward interaction with him once where he, he personally challenged you on the Democratic Party's support for abortion rights?
4: We, we've had what a was number, that like? Uh, we've had a number of uh, uh, sharp exchanges. Um, and, um, you know, the, the president's been a, a real challenge for me to find ways to work with. Um, I'll tell you that praying for the president is uh, probably uh, one of the greatest um, spiritual challenges I've um, had to work through in my life. Uh, I was raised to pray for those in positions of authority, uh, the, the senators and governors and congressmen and president and Uh, President Trump and I have very different views about some core issues. Um, We've had a conversation about uh, his treatment of refugees and his um, blocking folks from coming to our country in the uh, so-called Muslim ban that he enacted right when he was elected, and we've also had a conversation about uh, abortion and reproductive rights, and uh, I think we vigorously vigorously disagree on both. Um, What we haven't had is the time to really have a thoughtful conversation Uh, One of the things I respect about James is when uh, we were both invited to go to the White House. uh, Was this a year ago now? Was a year ago. And I frankly said, I'm not sure I see the point. Um, He encouraged me to be hopeful and to keep an open heart and to believe in the possibility of a positive and meaningful conversation. Um, So far, I haven't made as much progress in that direction as I I might have hoped. But part of the point of being a person who believes in the potential of everybody uh, to change and to grow is that um, I live in a very challenging time and a challenging environment, and I hope that I can be a good model of what it means to uh, believe deeply in certain principles and yet respect others, uh, others who are my colleagues, who believe equally deeply in an opposite application of that same principle.
2: We wish you both luck. Thank Thank you for your time. Our full conversation with Senators Coons and Lankford is on our website at facethenation.com. We'll be right back with advisor to the president, Ivanka Trump. Stay with us.
6: OK, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's b y t e.com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite.
5: As the country's largest employer, we must lead by example and after decades, are finally doing so. That was advisor to the president and first daughter Ivanka Trump
2: at a White House summit earlier this month focusing on paid leave and child care. She joins us now to talk about that new federal employee paid leave policy and the path forward for other Americans. Good morning, and thank you for coming in. Happy holidays to you. To you as well. Now, you have found an area of agreement with Speaker Pelosi, who championed uh, paid family leave, you worked to get Republicans on board with what just ended up uh, in the NDAA, which is to guarantee government workers 12 weeks of paid leave.
5: This has been years of discussion and education on the, the merits of paid family leave grounded in conservative values of work and of families, and the reality is the world has has changed and it's changed quickly today women make up 47 percent of the workforce yet we provide the vast majority of unpaid care for children and and of course adult dependents and it is not acceptable that in america today one in four women go back to work two weeks After having a child, it's just not acceptable. We can't tell the private sector to step up and to offer these critical benefits to their employees and not be willing to do it ourselves. And it's taken time. It's been the course of two and a half years of building out coalitions of support for this policy. But we have made more progress on paid family leave than in the 25 years since the Family and Medical Leave Act was passed. Mm -hmm. So you not only have this, and this is huge, it's a huge step forward um, in in providing paid leave to all Americans, which is our ultimate objective, but we also, as part of tax reform, approved the first-ever tax credit to employers offering leave to their employees making under $72,000 a year, which are the people that are... Very, very unlikely to receive it. So incentivizing employers to to step forward. How did you get the
2: Republican caucus to support these things? Because there has been Republican opposition to any kind of government mandate.
5: This has been, as I said, the accumulation of several years of, of discussion. When I first came to Washington, I was surprised at how few Democrats had taken their argument for the merit of paid leave. To their colleagues across the aisle. So it really was starting from the beginning and, and talking about this policy and framing it in different terms. So Republicans didn't want a payroll tax increase that disproportionately impacts the most vulnerable. So, what are new solutions? We proposed the first ever bipartisan, bicameral plan that would allow people the flexibility to determine if they want to pull back, um, pull forward their child tax credit. Mm -hmm. And then pay it back over 10 years. And by the way, paying it back over 10 years, they'd still receive an annual distribution that is dramatically higher than what they received prior to us passing tax reform. Are you,
2: though, just to clarify that, are you endorsing any of those bills?
5: So the way I have approached this from inception is the president has made very clear he thinks that this is critical policy. Mm -hmm. And now we are working with members on both sides of the aisle to see who has... The right policy to move forward and to be able to garner the votes to pass this into law. And I that think it could be a Democratic-led bill that you would still support it. It could be. Um, of, uh, it definitely could be. I think the the option that has been put out there um, by the Democrats, without even opining on 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 the policy of it, it has sat there since twenty twelve, has never been scored, has never received the endorsement of a president, including President Obama, and has never received bipartisan support Mm -hmm. from colleagues in the Senate. So the way I look at it is the, the, the debate had grown stale. If we want to deliver relief to working parents who need this, we need to come up with new fresh solutions. So we've been working with Republicans, with Democrats on proposing alternatives and what has become incredible is that people aren't debating anymore whether or not paid family leave is good policy. They're debating what's the best policy. But what did just become law,
2: yes. um, just to clarify for people who don't follow this the way, the way you do, and what was tucked inside the NDAA is 12 weeks of leave for people who either gave birth or... A woman or her partner, um, male or female, or if they adopted, adopted or parent. a foster uh, care um, uh, caregiver, and with that though this was tucked inside in a way that some Republican senators said they didn't get to fully vet this. And they have highlighted some uh, flaws in it that the FAA or the TSA or people who work at the VA, the veterans agencies, won't receive full benefits. Can you guarantee for all government workers that that will be fixed, that they will all receive 12 weeks? The
5: TSA is a flaw that applies to basically every benefit, that members of Congress on both sides of the aisle have been working to fix. So it's not specific to this particular benefit. This applies to the full federal workforce, understanding that that is... um, uh, a meaningful glitch that has applied to many, many things for many, many years, and that we're working to to fix. Will
2: contractors get to receive the benefits? I think four out of ten people who work for the government are contractors.
5: It is. It applies to to our workforce, mm-hmm. um, and under the same provision that all other benefits are administered, so it's consistent with with that. But you would like to expand it? Oh, our goal is to ensure that paid leave is available to all Americans. But we're putting forth new solutions. A payroll tax increase is not going to be passed into law anytime in the near future. So what are the other options? That's why the Cassidy Cinema Bill is so interesting. It's bipartisan, co-sponsors in the House, um, in the Senate, um, and it provides people with flexibility um, it is not a mandate on, on business. Oftentimes, small business cannot afford the mandate. So it creates flexibility and discretion for the benefit of, of the person who, who ultimately wants to use it. How do you get a private business? You were in the private sector.
2: Yeah. You didn't have a policy yourself in the beginning, but now you support it. How do you, do you
5: ask? Well, in my your own, own your, business, in your own after business. I had employees, I did. So I think once my... I. The fourth person I hired was pregnant when I hired her, so we put a policy in place for her. So everyone who's ever had a baby at one of my companies um, has had access to um to to leave. Um, So that, you know, that's something I recognize as as critically important. But I do think elevating awareness around the benefits Mm -hmm. to attracting and retaining the best talent this country has to offer. It is in companies' self-interest to do this. And that's why we've seen employers increasingly adopt paid leave. I had a conversation with Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, about how important this policy was in the first year of the administration, Walmart adopted um, and expand upon their, their mm-hmm. parental leave policies following tax reform. I got a call from from Doug right after they announced the policy change, and he said, you know, it was the most popular thing we did, even more than raising our wage, offering that benefit, because it's mm-hmm. incredibly valuable to families. But But it is important to note that thinking about caring for the next generation, the most important resource in in this country. Um, And, and of course, um, the parents, it doesn't stop at 12 weeks. Whenever anyone hears you talk about the importance of being with your children, they
2: also think about your personal, uh, and you were vocal in your opposition to the family separation policy when it came to immigration and the U.S. border. You said that was a low point for you. Correct. Um, We went and looked, and Homeland Security says there are still around 900 children who remain separated from their families. Is that something you continue to remain engaged on when it comes to immigration?
5: Well, immigration is not part of my portfolio. Obviously, Um, I think everyone should be engaged and and the full force of the U.S. government is is committed to this effort to border security, um, to protecting the most vulnerable. That includes those being trafficked um, across our border, which this president has committed To countering and combating human trafficking in an incredibly comprehensive, aggressive way. So, the the full United States government has been focused on this issue, starting with the president.
2: Ivanka Trump, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And we will be right back with a lot more Face the Nation, so stay with us.
6: You can host the best backyard barbecue
2: FACE THE NATION AND OUR ANNUAL CBS NEWS CORRESPONDENCE YEAR-END Roundtable. IT'S NOW IN ITS 69TH YEAR, WHICH MEANS IT'S EVEN OLDER THAN FACE THE NATION ITSELF. Uh, THE TRADITION STARTED IN THE VERY EARLY DAYS OF TELEVISION NEWS. JOINING ME TODAY TO CONTINUE IT FOR 2019 ARE OUR BEAT REPORTERS BASED HERE IN THE WASHINGTON BUREAU. DAVID MARTIN COVERS NATIONAL SECURITY. YOU USUALLY SEE HIM AT THE PENTAGON. JAN CRAWFORD COVERS THE SUPREME COURT AND KEEPS US STRAIGHT ON ALL LEGAL ISSUES. Jeff Pagase covers the Justice Department and Homeland Security. Nancy Cordes has been very busy up on Capitol Hill covering Congress. Paula Reed is our go-to when it comes to all things particularly legal with the president. Uh, She's now full-time at the White House. And Major Garrett was formerly chief White House correspondent, and he now covers just about everything in Washington as our chief correspondent in this town. Thank you all for being here. Uh, Nancy, you've had an incredibly busy end of year. And we may start 2020 with a trial, or will we? Will President Trump face a trial in the Senate? And what does it look like?
6: Act one is over. (laughs) Act two is just beginning. We will definitely see a trial. I think it will happen in January. You know, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell have done this dance so often they could do it with their eyes closed. It's just that now they're fighting over impeachment. They're staking out their positions early. She says she wants to know what this trial is going to look like, whether there will be witnesses before she sends the articles of impeachment over. He says he doesn't have to listen to what she has to say. So, Major, we begin and end the year with impeachment. What, what will the president
2: do here? Because he chose not to participate in the House case. If it goes to a trial, what
7: is he going to do? So he's going to take a lot of advice, and he has offered conflicting messages about what he wants. At times saying, I want a full-blown trial, I want lots of witnesses. Meanwhile, Senate Republicans are saying, look, if the Senate's prepared to acquit you, Mr. President, take the acquittal and go. The most likely outcome, I think, is, and the president will, I think, move over time toward this, something that looked a little bit like the Clinton impeachment trial. A presentation of the charges, questions from the senators, and then possibly a motion to dismiss. And if 51 Republican senators agree to that and talk the president into it, that could be the sum total of this process.
2: Chief Justice Roberts will be presiding over this trial when and if it begins in the new year. So, Jen, what do we need to know about how he's going to try to run this?
8: Well, I mean, the chief justice, I think, is going to go in there with one goal, and that is to not be the story. Um, I think he's going to really take a page uh, from his predecessor and how he ran the trial of President Clinton, uh, the late Chief Justice William Rehnquist, and just not be the story. I think what's interesting for the chief and for the court in general is that as he is presiding over that trial, across the street at the Supreme Court, the justices are in the middle of what is probably the biggest term in recent memory.
2: It's going to be significant. Um, I I know, Paula, for the State Department and for the Secretary of State, this was an incredible, uh, unexpected focus for impeachment that thrust these people who like to be on the sidelines working on policy right into a pretty harsh spotlight. Secretary Pompeo said he would be willing to testify and present evidence as required by law. He seems pretty confident he's not actually going to have to do that. His a safe bet.
9: It's a pretty safe bet that the White House will not ask him to testify. And this question right now of what you do if you are subpoenaed by Congress and the White House tells you you can't cooperate, it's currently being litigated. And different officials uh, have different views on this. Right now, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, he and his deputy, they're litigating this. They've asked the courts to decide if they have to cooperate. You think, I think, of Rudy Giuliani and his ongoing legal
2: troubles. If there is new evidence and information that comes out due to a trial, due to some kind of court proceeding on the outside. What does it do to what happens inside
6: the Capitol and the trial to come? Giuliani is a wild card here. I mean, he is still uh, traveling to Ukraine, talking to former prosecutors, claiming that he's got more evidence about Joe Biden and the uh, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and all the rest, uh, something that Republicans dearly wish he would stop doing. So, uh, you know, and and, and the president continues to praise him and and, and egg him on. So, you know, that that is a problem uh, for the president. But at this point, we don't see any signs of the Republican uh, wall of support for him cracking.
9: Because Giuliani said he would be willing to participate in the Senate trial. But he is alone in thinking that that is a good idea, mostly because he is currently under investigation by the Trump Justice Department. And there's no one in the West Wing except for the president who has ever suggested to me that they believe he is helping uh, his defense at this time. So the president, as you noted, he believes that he brings gravitas to his case. He still sees him as he was in 9-11. It's unclear if the president would support his participation. This is all the politics
2: of it. But this came from the national security world, this concern. It all comes back to anti-tank Javelin missiles, uh, Russia's annexation of Crimea and intervention in Ukraine. All of this is the backdrop to what led to the withholding of military aid and the political standoff. What is the bottom line here in terms of if Vladimir Putin is emboldened, does the Pentagon have concern that all of this public posturing has hurt their position?
10: There's politically emboldened. And how can he not be politically emboldened when you have so many elected officials in the United States parroting his talking points? But... I and the military and the Pentagon all look at this through more nuts-and-bolts eyes. And what we see is that ever since the annexation of Crimea in 2014, the U.S. military has doubled down on its plans and its training for reinforcing Europe. Last year, I went to an exercise in Norway, which was the biggest since the end of the Cold War. Next year, the Army... Is going to put more troops into Germany than it has in this century. So, the the U.S. military, despite all the bad mouthing of NATO, the U.S. military is continuing to uh, to concentrate on uh, the defense of Europe.
2: Jeff is uh, on that Russian interest front. Tell me about election security going into 2020. Will Russia try to replicate what they did in 2016?
11: Well, I think that's what U.S. officials are anticipating. But having covered this issue, it's hard to believe that when a criminal breaks into a house, he's going to use the same tactic the next time. And so that is the the challenge here, is trying to harden the systems that were uh, weak in 2016 but then how do you try to anticipate what the Russians might try to do next? Every time uh, we see any type of cyber attack, uh, the tactics evolve. And so there remains a vulnerability there.
2: Yeah, The U.S. intelligence assessment said not just Russia, but China, Iran, oh, exactly. all uh, things to watch and worry about in terms of election security. Um, but I'd like for both you and Paula to weigh in on the other big probe that we don't yet know the uh, results of. And that is what's called the the Durham investigation. This is all about uh, the attorney general. And Jan, you may know a bit about this as well, given uh, your past interviews with him. What is it that we can expect the attorney general to reveal about the origins of the Mueller investigation, the probe of the probe? Is this going to be what President Trump is looking for?
9: I think it is. Even if, as my sources tell me, it's unlikely that anyone will be criminally charged. This is no longer just a review. This is a criminal investigation being conducted by the U.S. attorney in Connecticut. I don't expect anyone will be charged, but the president doesn't necessarily need anyone to be charged. Because if this is released next year during the 2020 campaign, it's an opportunity for the president to revisit everything that we just heard in the inspector general's report about the mistakes that were made. This is a
8: a highly respected prosecutor, uh, both sides of the aisle. So I think the, the report will have quite a bit of currency when he comes out with it. The attorney general made clear and has consistently made clear there was spying on the Trump campaign, he doesn't understand that word to be pejorative. It is what it is. I mean, it, 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 there was. What was the grounds for that? Was there justification? It's, it's as Paula indicated. It's a, a very broad charge uh, that he asked, and, and clearly the Attorney General believes there's good reason for it.
2: David Martin, uh, the Trump administration is staring down an end-of-year deadline of sorts set by Kim Jong Un of North Korea, saying that diplomacy expires, and they are preparing for the test of a uh, satellite, a long-range. Uh, ICBM. What this does is it basically throws into question President Trump's centerpiece foreign policy issue and thrusts us pretty close to crisis, not just in an election year, but at a pretty critical time for North Korea's nuclear program. How much stronger are they now? How much bigger is the threat?
10: Well, it's been more than two years since they tested a long-range missile that could reach the United States. But you can be sure Kim Jong-un's rocket scientists haven't been sitting around popping bonbons for the past two years. They've been hard at work trying to develop a better, more reliable, more accurate missile. And we will know how much progress they've made when we start seeing their tests. And if they have developed a missile that doesn't just have the theoretical range of reaching the United States but has a no kidding military capability to drop a nuclear warhead on us, then we are in a situation we have never been in before. 2019 in North Korea is gonna be remembered as the year the music died. And the music being this fantasia that uh, Kim Jong-un would give up his nuclear weapons and the U.S. and North Korea would live happily ever after.
2: And it thrusts us into 2020 politics. Um, And we will take a break here because we have a lot more to talk about on the other side of this break. Stay with us with our predictions for 2020.
5: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it
1: should be. Convenient, comfortable. Ah.
2: And we're back now with our CBS News Correspondents panel. Jan, you mentioned a really busy year on the court. Um, One of the things that will be ruled on is what to do with these so-called dreamers, the DACA program. What can we expect?
8: When will that that happen? Well, that's a case about President Trump's efforts to rescind uh, that Dreamers program that uh, President Obama put into place with the sign of a pen by executive action. And it affects Um, hundreds of thousands of people. I would not be surprised if the president loses that case, Um, but this is a court in transition. In the olden days, uh, and I've covered the court a long time, you could get a pretty good feel for the way the court was going to decide a case based on how they asked the questions at argument. A lot of the questions were designed to get the vote of Justice Kennedy. Uh, So the justices would generally tip their hands because they'd be really going after the side that they disagreed with during oral argument. Now, they ask uh, questions of both sides. Uh, It's it's a very different feel at argument, which makes this court very difficult to predict. So I think, you know, any time that you see someone saying it looks like the court's going to rule this way, Take that with a grain of salt.
2: But we can expect this
8: before the election. All of these cases will come down, most of the controversial cases come down by the end of the term in June, right in the middle of the presidential election. So you're going to get the Supreme Court weighing in on DACA, abortion rights, gay rights, gun rights, potentially, the president's tax returns. I mean, these are all, any given year, one of these cases would be landmark, blockbuster
7: term.
2: And that red meat lands right in the middle of elections. And it
7: will make the future of the court a central issue of the 2020 campaign.
2: I want to go around the table. Paulette, can you start us off, though? Undercovered story in your beat and story you wish you could have covered.
9: Oh, a story I wish I could have covered, Jeffrey Epstein.
5: Um,
2: I mean,
9: that case had everything. And I'd watch our colleagues in New York uh, covering that. And I'd always say, my God, this trial has everything. This would have been the trial of a lifetime. And in terms of undercovered story, I'd say the same thing I said last year, which is the
6: opioid ac- uh, epidemic across the country, how that continues to impact lives. Nancy? Undercovered story on my beat, anything but impeachment. <laughs> I mean, Congress mm-hmm. just passed a $1.4 trillion spending package, all kinds of goodies stuffed in there, got very little coverage, big trade deal, very little coverage compared to uh, impeachment. Uh, gun policy. Uh, We thought there was a huge breakthrough after El Paso and Dayton. The president came out, said that he was for red flag laws and he was for perhaps strengthening background checks, that the White House would be issuing uh, some kind of proposal. We haven't seen anything. We haven't seen anything from the White House. We haven't seen a single hearing in the Senate. Nobody talks about it anymore. Uh, story I wish I'd covered. Well Paula got to interview Elmo and Big Bird Just at the Kennedy Center on. I was jealous of that. And too. That was pretty, pretty cool. cool. <laughs> I would have gotten a lot of street cred with my kids yeah. if I had done that. Okay. Exactly. What about you, Jeff?
11: I think these ransomware attacks on these cities across the country, it is costing tens of millions of dollars to these cities, and it's still sort of flying under the radar. Uh, and ultimately, that is a cost that will be passed on to taxpayers.
8: Jan? So I think the underreported story on my Beat is President Trump's transformation of the federal judiciary. I mean, we talk about the two Supreme Court justices, but he's appointed a quarter of the federal appeals court bench now, 50. 133 or more at this point federal district court judges. Those judges are appointed for life. It's a president's most lasting legacy. They will be on the bench deciding issues of enormous importance to everyday life uh, for generations. Um The story I wish that I had covered, uh, I would say the women's basketball final four, (coughs) college basketball. Uh, It's a great event. I'm a big women's basketball fan, uh, incredible athletes and competition, and I wish I had covered that because that would suggest that we covered women's sports more.
2: Good point. David?
10: Well, uh, at the risk of boring people. It's the withdrawal. (laughs) No, now you
2: have to to be cheery. You're scaring (laughs) us, David.
10: (laughs) The withdrawal of the United States from the intermediate-range nuclear forces deal with Russia. The INF Treaty. The INF Treaty. And it doesn't have much to do with Russia. It has to do with China, because China was not covered by that treaty. And so China had been developing these missiles for years and years. And now the U.S. can start developing those missiles, and it's already uh, conducted two tests. And what's at issue here is the buildup uh, on those islands in the South China Sea. China has been making these military bases all around the South China Sea. Once the U.S. has an intermediate-range land-based missile, it will be able to, to threaten every single one of those built-up islands in the South China Sea. The arms race with China is on. Mm-hmm. And in, in many cases, uh, like these missiles, we're playing catch-up with China.
2: And that is, I would say, underreported, undercovered, and mm-hmm. uh, also back in your scary bucket, David, because um, <laughs> y- y- there is so much, uh, particularly on the diplomatic front, that is causing concern with China right now.
10: The story. I wish What did, I had did you come? wish? I wish I had been there when they got Baghdadi.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, I that,
10: one. that man was evil, and to uh, have been there when he was brought to justice. I think would have have been a great uh, experience, plus I would have been able to report whether or not he screamed and cried Mm -hmm. in his final moments as
7: the president said he did.
2: Undercovered and, and wish you'd covered.
7: Right. So sometimes undercover stories are complicated, and this one I think falls resolutely in that category. The president's relationship to people of color in this country. His rhetoric is indefensible even by many Republicans. Charlottesville, send her back this year, is what people hear and think about when they think about the president and people of color. And yet, it can be fairly said that this administration, because of President Trump's quiet prodding, has done quite a bit for funding of historically black colleges and universities. The First Step Act, which was a massive first step toward criminal justice reform. Just a couple of weeks ago, in this newly signed defense bill, there is a law that says if you're seeking work for the federal government or any contractor, you don't have to be asked and you cannot be asked about your criminal history until right toward the end. That's a significant change long sought by criminal justice advocates, plus opportunity zones in the tax bill directed at communities of color. That is a legacy on the agenda side that almost any president after three years would want to claim, particularly President Obama. Many of those things were sought, but you know what? Republicans would not go for it. Quietly persistently. President Trump has pushed Republicans in this direction, and I think that's an undercovered story. What did I wish I covered this year? Anytime I see our brilliant colleague Mark Phillips in the water covering an environmental story, that's where I want to be.
2: All right, Major Garrett on the climate beat. What is your prediction for the new year?
7: It's safe, but it's important that election turnout in November of 2020 will be the highest it's been in a century. It could near or possibly exceed 70%.
2: David Martin, you have an incredible track record in your predictions, although I do have to say there's kind of a two-year delay often. You predicted talks directly between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. Two years later, it happened. You predicted the demise of al-Baghdadi, who you just talked about. Two years later, it happened. So what's the prediction for 2021?
10: So 2020 is shaping up to be the year of maximum danger. We've got these two ticking bombs out there. Iran and North Korea. We've got a president, a commander-in-chief running for re-election under the shadow of impeachment. But I'm going to draw back from the break. I'm going to predict that we have an incident which <coughs> serves as a wake-up call for our uh, vulnerability in space. Mm-hmm. We are going to lose the services of some vital satellite, maybe, say, the global positioning satellites that runs all our our lives. It will just be temporary. But the worst part about it will be we won't know whether it was a technical malfunction, an accident, or an attack by a foreign power.
2: Because of our cyber vulnerabilities?
10: Because of the amount of effort that uh, Russia and China have been putting into anti-satellite weapons. Ever since they witnessed what we could do with space in the Gulf War of 1990. That's how long they've been working on this, and and they know that our military, um, and now our, our economy, just depends on those satellites up in space. If you're going to, if you're going to strike America in its center of gravity, that's where it is.
8: Jan Crawford,
2: bring us <laughs> back from the <laughs> brink tough that's a, that's a act to follow.
8: Yeah, I mean that's like it's like the, today's version of the space race. Yeah. If I go back to my beat, um, uh, my prediction would be that the Supreme Court's not going to make anybody happy this year. I don't think that it's going to be a court that is uniformly conservative uh, with rulings for President Trump or one that's going to um, be uniformly, surprisingly uh, positive for liberals. I think they'll split the difference, and as a result,
11: it'll give everybody something to complain about. Jeff? Jeff? Uh, okay, so I'm going to predict something that has a little bit to do with my beat, and uh, the rest is off the beat. So I think the Baltimore Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl. That is a town with a lot of grit, uh, a town that never gives up, uh, and I just think given all that has happened there, they have the momentum, and I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. All
2: right. All right. We'll yeah. let you check that
6: off as a just- <laughs> prediction. Okay. Nancy? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb, predict that Democrats will retain control of the House. Republicans will retain control of the Senate, though the margins in both will shrink. Um, And I think that while the impeachment inquiry in the House is over, the investigations of this president are not going to stop. They've won some early court battles. They'll win some more, I predict, in 2020. And so, we could get a very fascinating glimpse for the first time at not only possibly the president's tax returns, but also his personal and business finances. Paula.
9: I predict that the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, will be charged by the Justice Department. Uh, we know that they are currently reviewing his finances. It's not that hard to run afoul of foreign lobbying requirements. And Giuliani has told me he denies that he's broken any laws. But he also tells me that Bill Barr would never charge me. But that completely flies in the face of what Bill Barr has said publicly. I cannot speak to whether he would actually be convicted, because while it is easy to run afoul of these laws, it is tough to get a conviction. But there are a lot of questions about where he's getting his money. And you have two of his close associates uh, who have been charged, who have an incentive to cooperate. And we have learned that they have received hundreds of thousands, millions in some cases, of dollars from folks with ties to oligarchs in, in Ukraine. And, and the Russian, Russian mob. Exactly, and the Russian mob. Doesn't look good. <laughs> Thank you, Paula.
2: And we'll be right back.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery.
2: That's it for us today and for 2019. Thank you for watching. We want to wish you and your loved ones a very happy new year. And until next year, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Oklahoma Republican Senator James Lankford, Delaware Democratic Senator Chris Coons, and presidential advisor Ivanka Trump. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
8: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator